There's actually music coming through this speaker up here. <laughs> you all can't hear it, but I can, I can hear it. All right, we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Go ahead and turn there. Starting in verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Let's pray. Father... Thanks for the worship this morning. Thank you that we can sing your praises. Thank you, Lord, that you inhabit the praises of your people, that you, the triune God, are here now in our midst. In spirit, we ask you would do your work. You'd be the comforter, the helper. You'd be the one who illuminates our eyes uh, to the very words of Scripture. And Father, we ask that you would do um, your work in us and through us. And we do pray, Lord, for other churches in our area and brothers and sisters, pastors, leaders at those churches, that they would uh, remain faithful to you. They'd remain faithful to your word. They would uh, preach the truth. They would worship you in spirit and in truth, God. Um, bless them in the work that they're doing for the kingdom. And bless our work as well, Father. Amen. Well, a recap from last week when we started looking at these three verses. Uh, these are prayers that Paul is praying for the church at Thessalonica. And each verse, we see one of those prayers. Last week, we looked at how um, Paul was praying that God would direct... Um, Paul and his cohorts back to the Thessalonians. That's verse 11. This week we're looking at verse 12 where Paul is asking that their love for one another and for all would increase and increase and increase. And then the third prayer is Paul praying that the Lord would establish their hearts blameless in holiness uh, until Jesus comes back. So we're going to hone in on verse 12 today. There's two words, actually there's two sets of words I want to draw our attention to. The first set is increase and abound. So he says, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So let's look at these first these two words, increase and abound. Uh, the word increase means to increase, and it has the idea behind it, abundantly. To increase Abundantly, so, so our love isn't just like a few drops, it isn't just a small bit, it, it isn't just, oh, oh yeah, I've got some of that love in me. No, Paul is saying, like, I want the love that you have for one another, I want it to increase, and increase abundantly. So it's, it's, it's really a love to the point of overflowing. It just protrudes and protrudes and, and comes out of you. 
Um, let me ask you a question. Do you think if you had that much love that people would see it? I mean, if it's just like overflowing from you, do you think people would see that? I mean, hopefully, right? It should be, yes. I mean, it'd be obvious. Um, you literally, you couldn't contain it. And what God gives to us, he gives to us in abundance. He doesn't, you know, when, when God's given out good gifts, you know, he doesn't just use like a little eyedropper. You know, here, here's a little love, and, and here's a little love. And he doesn't do that. And he doesn't use even um, uh, a teaspoon to measure out, you know, just like, Got the little sugar, and he's like, nope, here's some love, and here, no. Like, God gives abundantly. He gives his gifts out abundantly to people, including love. Think of um, Psalm 23. Turn there, hold your place in, Th- in Thessalonians, because we'll be coming back. But look at Psalm 23. Look at verse 5. I know you're familiar with this psalm. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now think about that for a minute. This is the Lord. He's preparing a table. He's preparing a table. I mean, that's not some like, little kid table where your knees are knocking up against the edge. Like, it's like a banquet table. It's a big table. So it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. That's like, it's like a blessing of the Lord, the anointing of oil. And then look what it says, my cup overflows. So, I mean, it's a banquet table, and it's not some, like, little, you know, you know teacup. You know, it's, it's a chalice, and it's overflowing. God's putting so much blessings in there, it's overflowing. Think of what James 1.17 says. Every good gift and every perfect gift is, is from where? It's from above. Coming down from whom? the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Say, if you get a good gift, this is what it's saying, every good gift, every perfect gift, you get a good gift, that's from the Lord. You get a perfect gift, that's from the Lord. So when we're talking about increasing, we need to take this prayer and personalize it for ourselves. We need to pray to God for our love to increase. Abound has a similar meaning. It's almost synonymous with increase. The idea is to provide in super abundance. Paul actually uses this quite a few times throughout his letters. But it's to the, the idea is to the point of having way more than enough. Not just like, oh, we're having some people over and I think, you know, three pizzas will cover it. This is like we're having some pizza over and I, I ordered like a hundred. Uh, he's got it covered easily. Super Abundance. I want a superabundance of love. You want a superabundance of love? You know, a superabundance of love for my wife, for my family, for my church, for my neighbors, for strangers. And, and I mean, that's the prayer here. That, that the love would, would increase and abound, a superabundance of love in us for others. Uh, in, in his sermon on Thessalonians, uh, Chrysostom, have you ever, anyone ever heard of him? He's one of the church, early church fathers, lived around 350 A.D. 
He's actually known as Golden Mouth because he was such a gifted speaker. <clears throat> he said this. It's kind of cool that we actually have a sermon from a guy that lived like 1,700 years ago, right? One of the early, earlier believers. He was a pastor, a leader. But this is what he said. Do you see the unrestrainable madness of love that is shown by Paul's words? Make you to increase and abound instead of just using something casual. Increase and abound. So what is the prayer? I mean, it's a prayer for growth, right? Increase and abound in love. How does that occur? Naturally? No. Supernaturally. It is an act of God interceding in our lives, in our hearts. Remember, Paul already complimented them on their love. So they were doing, they were doing actually pretty well. Look back at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 2, chapter 1, he says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father, and, and then he lists three things. We looked at them a few months ago. Your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a labor, he says, of love. A labor of love. And, you know, indeed it is a labor if we want to truly love. It doesn't come easy. It doesn't come natural. God will increase and abound his love within us, but there is a labor that we do with it. So we need to do that. We need to abound and increase in love. There's a second set of words I want to draw your attention to as well. Notice what Paul says back in verse 12, chapter 3. He says, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. So there's a distinction here that Paul makes. The one another and the all. Why the differentiation? And this is key, okay? So pay attention. The Lord wants us to see something here. We have spheres of obligation. You could call them duties if you want. Spheres of obligation. You have certain obligations to your spouse that you don't have towards other spouses. And you have certain obligations to your family that you don't have towards other families, right? And because of that, you're going you're to interact with your spouse in a way that you won't interact with other spouses. You're going to interact with your family in a way that you won't interact with, with other families. You have certain obligations toward city officials that you don't have for city officials of another town. You're under the ordinances and rules of this particular city or wherever, whatever city you might live in. Same with the state. Same with the country. Okay, France, their rules don't have any governing power over you. So our obligation to those we are in fellowship with is greater than our obligation elsewhere. Think about that. And that's why Paul's distinguishing increase in love for one another Who's he talking to? The church at Thessalonica. And then he says, for all. So there's a differentiation. That's important. They're com being commanded. The Thessalonian church members, they're being commanded first, first, first to love one another. To do that first. 
Look at Galatians 6. We'll see Paul make some of these differentiations in other letters as well. Galatians 6. He says in verse 9, chapter 6, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Then look what he says. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. There's the general. And then he says, And especially to those who are of the household of faith. Okay, so there's the, the, the general all and the specific in, in this case, he's saying everyone of the household of faith. You know, if I'm a member of this church, I have duties and responsibilities to other members of this church. Not, not as a pastor, though that's like a different category. I'm just saying as a member, okay? Each one of you, the same. You have duties and responsibilities as believer to members in this church. And that is going to look different than the duties and responsibilities you might have towards members of other churches. It will look different in nature and scope. I mean, friends, this is just the 1 Corinthians 12 concept being practically applied to individual churches. Look at 1 Corinthians 12. We'll see this. We'll pick it up in 22, chapter 12, 1 Corinthians. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on our or unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God, and here's what I want us to pay attention to, God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. The same care. There's that one another again, by the way. We'll see it quite a bit once it starts. You start looking for it. Even when you're not, it pops up. There, one another. If one member suffers, verse 26, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You know, if someone loses their job here, I as a member have a responsibility to help them out in some way, some shape, some form. Not as the pastor, but as a member. It might look different depending on how well or how well I do know them or how well I don't know them, but there's a responsibility. That's the body being the body. That's the hand literally helping the foot. We've covenanted to do life together. If someone at another church loses their job, my responsibility to them looks a lot different. doesn't mean I can't help them. It's different. And we've had people here lose their jobs. And others in the church have stepped up and helped out. Big time. And, you know, we don't go around trumpeting those stories. You know, it looks like we're tooting our own horn. But time and time again, this body has stepped up and helped people out that have been financially crunched. And people here have made huge financial sacrifices in other in order to help others out financially. That's the body being the body. And people here who really don't have the time to do certain things, they've, they've sacrificed their time in order to help others out. That's the body being the body. Are you having trouble loving people? It wasn't totally rhetorical. 
That's okay, because I want you to notice something in the prayer. Look at back in verse 12, 1 Thessalonians. It says, may the Lord make your love increase. Friends, the Lord is the one doing it. Ultimately, the Lord increases our love. You can pray and you should pray. Lord, increase my love for my spouse. Increase my love for my extended family. Increase my love for my neighbor. I mean, some of you might not even give a rip about your neighbors. You know, if they died today, you'd be like, oh, well, I wonder who's moving in. And some of you might not even give a rip about other members in this church. I mean, those are attitudes that need to be repented of. We're called to love one another and the all. And you know, there, there are people that all of us need to do a lot better job loving. And one way we can begin is by praying. I mean, seriously. We got this prayer specifically given to us. You're struggling with loving someone? Pray for your love to increase. When was the last time you prayed to love someone better? You know, if you have an issue with someone, I'm sure all you guys are doing great. You don't have issues with anybody. But if you, if you do, when it does happen, you know, start by praying to love them more. Start by praying to love them more. You know, you're like, I can't stand them. But Lord, help me love them. Pray to love them. Think about what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 13. What does love never do? Love never fails. ESV says ends. But, but our love, it has to be a biblical love. And you know what? Biblical love will do many things. And you hear people say sometimes, like, oh, that's not very loving, or that's not very loving, or that's not very loving. Listen, loving your neighbor doesn't mean just patting them on the back and and wishing them well, and it's all going to be okay. You know, James addresses that. You know, love gives hard truth. Love speaks out. Love stands up for the truth. Love stands against wrongdoing. Love is telling people what they need to hear when they need to hear it. And we have a sappy view of love in our culture, even in the church today. We have a Hollywood view of love, a sentimental view of love. That's an unbiblical love. Um, Single people, if you have like a Hollywood view of love, you'll be disappointed when you get married. Think of Cinderella, right? They lived happily ever after. We need like a part two, all right? Like the real sequel. You know, five years later, and Cinderella's in the castle with the crying baby and the toddler running around. And she's not wearing the dress anymore, okay? <laughs> she's in sweatpants and a t-shirt. And those glass slippers are not glass anymore. She's just wearing regular house slippers, all right? It's been a long day for her. But we got to get a real picture of love. And the world says that, that true love is affirming and supporting someone in whatever decisions they make, whatever lifestyle they choose. I mean, think about that for a moment. Think if that's how God treated us. You know, God loves us so much, he lives us in our sinful mess. I mean, really? He loves us so much, he leaves us in our fallen ways, in our brokenness, in our hurts and pains. And he's like, oh, don't worry, you're on your way to hell, it'll all be fine, it'll all work out. 
I'll see what I can do about turning the temperature down a bit. I mean, that's not love. That's not love. God loves us enough to speak hard truths to us. He loves us enough to, to do something about our condition. He loves us enough to intercede. And think about what Proverbs 31 says. Let's, let's turn there. Proverbs 31, verse 1, the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. All right, so when, when the king was a prince, likely, his mom was instructing him. This is what she instructed him. He writes it down for us. It's in the words of Scripture. Go to verse 8. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. I mean, this is love in action. Love stands up and speaks out against abuse. Love speaks against tyranny. Love speaks against wrongdoing. Love acts according to the word. And what's interesting is, on Wednesday, in Moscow, three Christians were arrested for singing hymns. No, not Moscow, Russia. Moscow, Idaho. A church decided to sing psalms outside of City Hall in response to a recent ordinance passed by the mayor and the council. I mean, they're singing psalms. You know, 300 of them. And they started arresting people. Chief of police is there and everything. And they said one person was arrested for not producing identification. The chief of police, who's standing 10 feet away, uh, knows this guy personally. And the chief of police standing 10 feet away was on this guy's podcast just months ago. And, and the person they arrested is running for civic office. His, his picture is plastered all over the city. They're looking for a reason. And it was kind of funny. They, they arrested, actually they cited, they didn't arrest, they cited the person next to him. And they wrote on, on his citation the name of the guy that wouldn't write, identify him. You know, so John and, and, and Gabe, who was standing next to him, I thought you didn't know his name. It's just, it's crazy, friends. They arrested a husband and wife. I've watched the video five or six times, supposedly obstructing the police. I mean, I, there's nothing in the video. What, I mean, this is like the kindest couple, supposedly, at this church. They're just talking with the police, doing everything the police ask. All of a sudden, they're turning around and they're getting handcuffed, singing psalms. Singing psalms. Now, <clears throat> I have a problem with that for many reasons. One of the reasons I have a problem with it is because that same city, there had been three other protests for Black Lives Matter. And there's no social distancing. Not everyone was wearing masks. The police were there. And guess how many citations were handed out? None. Guess how many arrests were made? None. Yeah, it's not hard to guess, right? Uh, one of those protests was held when the whole state of Idaho was still under a state mandate 
for uh, gatherings to be restricted to 50 or less. Yeah, there's a protest. I'm fine with peaceful protest, so I'm not, not having an issue with any peaceful protesting, but there's a protest. There's more than 50. The police are there. They have pictures of this. And the police don't do anything. Yet this church comes along and sings psalms and they start arresting people. Supposedly for not social distancing. To add to the hypocrisy, about a month ago, the mayor of this town, Moscow, Idaho, presides over a wedding. There's, there's, obviously there's photographers at weddings, right? There's plenty of evidence. One of the councilmen was there. Numerous police officers were in attendance. No masks. No social distancing. And, of course, no citations and no arrests. Now, let me ask you, when you treat one group of people differently than you're treating all other groups and situations, what's that called? Discrimination. And, and friends, when you look across the landscape right now, Who's being targeted? It's the Christians. I mean, people are singing Amazing Grace. That, that was one of the songs they're singing. And the mayor has to flex his muscles to show that he, he deem, what he deems acceptable and what he doesn't deem acceptable. And there's hypocrisy everywhere. So what was the response of this church? This happened just on Wednesday. So on Friday they decided to do it again. <laughs> and this time they have about 500 people show up. Guess how many were arrested? None. Guess how many were cited? None. They took a stand, friends. They took a stand. And the mayor in that town backed down. Here's the thing. Oh, and it's happening to John MacArthur's church too. You all know that, right? I, I heard him giving a list of, of all the requirements they wanted for, for John MacArthur's church to have church. It's like, uh, I think it's like 2024 20, or something like that. Um, the first one was no indoor meetings. And we already talked about, like, it was 120 degrees in Los Angeles County a few weeks ago, okay? Um, Pre-registration of every person who comes on the property... Um, only allowed on the property for scheduled events. Everyone screened and temperature taken. Six feet of social distancing everywhere, including parking lot and restrooms. Every other parking spot left vacant. I, I don't know about that one. Marked pathways to main social distance with staff monitoring it. Everyone wears masks. There's restroom monitors. That's kind of awkward. Um, tape on the ground marking distance to stay apart. Signs indicating the government mandates. Full disclosure on social media that they're following the government's rules. Uh, you have to use the restrooms during the service to minimize the rush. There's no hugging, no shaking hands, no hymn books, no communion, no offering containers, no pew Bibles, no singing. And then you have to use disposable seat covers that they change between the services. And you have to shorten the service. Now, they have a 3,500-member church. The max that they would allow for them to even gather outside would be 350 people. If you're in contact with someone for more than 15 minutes, which we'd all be guilty of today, um, outside your family, you have to quarantine for two weeks. 
And yet people are telling MacArthur, come on, come on, they'll, they'll let you have a service. What's the big deal? Just follow their requirements. Well, when, when the requirements on a particular organization or set of organizations, in this case the church, are high-handed, way more than other organizations are being placed under, there's a problem. It's discrimination. So the court ruled recently, they've been taking MacArthur and, and, and his church to court over and over again on the, every possible angle they can try, and now they want to hold him in contempt of court. Uh, it says on Thursday... Uh, Judge Beckliff ruled that MacArthur and his Sun Valley-based church are entitled to a full trial on the merits of their challenge against state and local order, orders prohibiting indoor church gatherings before they can be held in contempt for violating the orders. So it's, it's gone to, to, to court, and they're saying, well, they need to uphold the current law, and if they don't, we want to hold them in contempt. The judge is saying, you can't do that. We're going to have a full trial before any contempt charges can be brought. For nearly three months, the county has sought to shut, shut down the church and hold MacArthur in contempt for repeatedly violating the order. Uh, this week, Beckloff ruled that the courts must first decide on the constitutionality of the shutdown orders before the county can pursue contempt charges. And here's the best part to me. <laughs> Due to the state's shutdown orders, the contempt trial is not expected to take place until early 2021. Basically, because you've shut down the state, we can't have the court case right away. <clears throat> we need to pray for John MacArthur and his church. We need to pray for Judge Beckloff to rule righteously in this situation. You know, MacArthur, he's taken a stand. Uh, the pastor in Idaho, Doug Wilson, he's taken a stand. You know the challenge with deciding to, when to take a stand, right? It's a challenge that everybody faces. When is it time? When is it time? And do you know what many people say? Next time. That's usually the answer. Not this issue, not this time, next time. Is this really the time to take a stand? Is this really the issue to stand on? That question will always be asked. And at some point, you'll die, never having said yes. I was always ready to take a stand, but I never did. Is that how you want to go down? Ready to stand, but never did. Think about the conservative Christian who just received their doctorate and is now applying to teach at various secular universities. You know what they think when they get their first position? I can't take a stand yet. I'm new here. Then what happens? Oh, I can't take a stand yet. I've only been here a few years. I can't take a stand yet. I almost have tenure. I can't take a stand yet. I have a chance to become dean and really make a difference. I can't take a stand yet. I'm almost dean. I can't take a stand yet. I'm dean and have a chance to move up. And finally, they get to the end of their career, and they never took a stand. And there's conservative pastors and evangelical leaders getting shown up by an 81-year-old pastor in California and a 67-year-old pastor in Idaho. And I hope when it's our turn and our time to stand, we're willing to stand. Resolve now 
that you will. What's our approach to officials like this? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a power grab. It's an abuse of power. But I want us to remember what Jesus said, and I want you to read it yourself. Look at Matthew 5. Matthew 5, let's look at verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. It's the same concept that Paul is talking about in 1 Thessalonians 3, praying and loving. Jesus said it, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Paul's telling them for their love to increase for the church members, but also for the all. If you, you should read the, the story in, in Acts of what's going on, because they were challenged to do some loving of the local officials. Let, actually, let's just look at it real quick. Acts 17. Verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things, and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So in Thessalonica, they're getting persecuted by the Jews, and, and then the city authorities, they, they participate in that persecution. That, that's why Paul wasn't able to be there as long. Three Sabbaths, plant the church. And here he's telling them to pray for all who, who would be included in the all, those rabble-rousers, the people that were stirring up the mob, the Jewish unbelievers. Well, what about for us? Because those are tough people to love for them, and we got tough people to love for us. But, but we're called to love them. If we're called to, to love our enemies, we're called to love everyone. And we're called to pray for them as well. Pray for ourselves for the love to increase, but pray for them as well, for enlightenment, for repentance, for blessing even. Friends, you know, we, we need prayer. And think about this for a moment. If you were sailing a ship from the U.S. to the U.K., uh, you know, there, there's certain things you'd want on that ship with you, right? 
My, my uncle actually did that. It was about 30 years ago he, on a very small boat, really. Him and uh, a couple friends from the eastern shore sailed to England. But what would you want on that, on that ship? Well, one thing you'd want is you'd want GPS. You want to make sure you're going the right way. You get where you're going. And, and that GPS, would, would you check it, um, I don't know, every few days? Now, I'd be checking it probably every couple hours. <laughs> I want to make sure I stay on track. Being out in the ocean is a pretty big place to be. But once you got off that, sh- off that ship, um, you'd probably stop being so concerned about the GPS, right? Not so concerned about it. You know what's up. But friends, that GPS, I mean, that, that's like the Lord, okay? We need to be leaning on him. Not every couple days. Not even just once a day, multiple times throughout the day. That's, we'll get to it eventually, First Thessalonians 5, but that's the idea of pray without ceasing. Like you're walking in communion with the Lord. You're, you're having an attitude of prayer. You're having an attitude of dependence on Jesus. And the truth is, you know, we're on that ship all the time. We don't get off that ship. Because we got turbulent waters. They might be better at times, but there's rough waters out there, and we need the Lord leading and guiding us through those times. We trust the Lord, we rely on him. You know, Jesus said it pretty clearly, John 13, he said, a new commandment I give to you. What's that commandment? Love one another. See, there it is again, one another. Just as I have loved you, Jesus said, you also are to love one another. And here's the thing. This is key. By this, all people will know that you are my disciple if you have love for one another. If you have love for one another. That's how people are going to know. By this will all men know you're my disciples. Prayer is pivotal for our growth. You want to grow? You want to grow in your relationship with Jesus? You want to grow in your knowledge of the Father? You want to grow closer to Him? Prayer is pivotal. And we have three prayers here laid out for us that we can specifically pray for ourselves and for others. Think of love for a moment, friends. Love thinks well of others. It thinks well of others. That's really the first thing, thinking well of others. You know, some of you need to give your your mind a little little bath or something and and clean it up so you can think well of others because you're not. Love thinks well of others, but it also speaks well of others. Not just when they're in your presence, but when their back's turned. It speaks well of others. And love acts well toward others. So there's those three aspects. Think, speak, and act. you, you got to have those to truly love. Let's go ahead and pray. I'll have the worship team come up. Actually, why don't we all stand? All right, before we pray, you can look up. 
Um, I'm actually going to have you all come forward again, all right? If you need a little more space, go to the right, but everyone come forward down here. We're going to sing a couple songs, but I'd like to sing them a little bit closer. Um, and then between the songs, we're going to have a time of prayer. So if you want to pray, uh, let's pray in line of the theme of our love increasing for one another. Let's pray. Father, we confess uh, that we fail at times miserably um, to love you, uh, to love our brother or sister in Christ, to love our spouse. So I pray that you would forgive us for that. And I'm going to give everyone just a few seconds here. If you need to ask the Lord for forgiveness for any of that, go ahead. And Lord, you're the one that increases our love. So we pray, as verse 12 says, increase our love. Make it super abound for one another, for our brothers and sisters in Christ, for all people, Lord. And help us labor well to love well. In our, in our thoughts, Lord, in our words, in our deeds. And we thank you, Lord, that you do give, and you give abundantly. You came that we might have life and, and have life abundantly, your word says in John 8. And we thank you, God, that you lavishly blessed us with the riches in Christ that Ephesians talks about. Not just a sprinkling, Lord, but a lavishing. Thank you, Father. Bless our time now, Lord, as we come before your throne to sing your praises.